Somebody's been standing up here. Either Daryl Munkus or Brent Mizell. Sure hadn't been me. Well, we've never before in the history of this church excommunicated someone over a football game. But I'm going to call George Moranja up here this morning. Are there any other LSU fans in the building? It's great to see everybody today. If you're visiting with us, um, we're really glad you're here today. And we're here to worship the Lord. And, you know, part of that is preparing to do that even before we come to the building. And so um, it's just great to see you this morning. I hope you're, you're ready to worship him. Uh, Linda Bartlett has an announcement that she needs to make. Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Linda Bartlett, and I'm a counselor at Positive Choices, and I would like to invite you to a very up uh, important upcoming event. It's the Positive Choices Gala. We have uh, them yearly, and uh, it will be on Thursday, October 12th at the Trestle Civic Center. Um, just to review what we do, I'll tell you a little bit about Positive Choices. Our, our church supports Positive Choices financially and in prayer. Um, it used to be called Save a Life East, so if you're wondering what happened to Save a Life, we're it. <laughs> okay. um, some things we do is we offer free pregnancy tests, free limited ultrasounds, parenting classes, and the opportunity to spend the money in our baby stores that they earn. Um, we make sure that every client that comes through our doors is, uh, receives the gospel, and they also have the opportunity to take Bible study courses if they're interested in that. Uh, if, a if a client needs help with housing, health care, or other needs that might be an issue, we refer them to various agencies that we're in touch with. If they're considering adoption, we can help them with that. If they're struggling with a past abortion, we help them get connected with a Christian abortion recovery ministry. So we strive to meet many needs of our clients to encourage them and help them on their way. Although over half the people working at Positive Choices are volunteers. We do have a small administrative staff and an RN who does the ultrasounds. So you can see we're an organization with financial needs as well as prayer needs. Um, I'd like you to seriously consider supporting this uh, important ministry by attending the gala and thereby lend your support to us. If you'd like tickets, you can see me after the service. Um, there's also a poster over the sign-up tables in the uh, lobby. Um, but just remember, it's October 12th, Thursday night, and I hope to see you there. All right, thank you, uh, Linda. I want to make a couple more announcements uh, for us to consider this morning. Uh, the first one has to do with a visitor's lunch, which will be next Sunday, immediately following the service. And so if you're visiting with us and would like to know more about Grace, we'd love for you to come. The sign-up sheet for that is out in the foyer, and uh, we'd love to... Just introduce ourselves to you, and then uh, in turn, you introduce uh, yourselves to us, and uh, wait, maybe we can get to know each other a little bit better. So if you're interested in that, that'll be next Sunday immediately following uh, the service. Also, I wanted to make mention of the fact that a letter will be going out tomorrow uh, to all of you who are members and regular attenders here at Grace. We will have our church conference on October the 8th. Within the letter, there will be... Um, 
uh, made mention of those men who have been um, nominated, approved by the elders, and then, um, uh, uh, then given to you for your consideration as you would, um, as a member of the church, uh, vote uh, for this person. Obviously, uh, there's yes and no on the ballot when you vote for a person, but we want you to know as elders that um, we have interviewed these men and we fully support um, what we send out. And we would ask you that if you do not know the person personally, that you would abstain from uh, casting a vote yes or no for that person. Uh, one of the challenges that we've been having as a congregation is getting to know one another. And sometimes you may not uh, actually know the person who is uh, being uh, considered. And so we would just ask as elders that you would abstain in voting if you do not know uh, the person. So we're very, very excited about those who are um, being considered for deacon and elder. And so you be looking for that letter. You should receive that uh, this week. All right. I wanted to um, take us to Psalm 100. I just want you to listen to these words. You don't need to turn there, but you feel just listen, and then we will have a word of prayer uh, before we begin uh, this morning. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. How many times did we consider this good, good God this last week? Before we showed up today. Something to think about. Let's pray uh, together. Our Father we want to thank you so much. For who you are indeed. You are a good good God. We're so thankful that. You know us. And you know us full well. There is nothing that escapes. Your notice. Um, You've made us. Um, We are fearfully and wonderfully made as your word tells us. I pray that this morning we would just take a moment to prepare ourselves for what you would have for us today. That we would consider why we've come to this place today. Hopefully it is to lift up the name of the one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.
stand, guys, as we worship together this morning. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, and all the earth rejoices, all the earth rejoices. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God, sing with me. How great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our Then sings my soul, 
my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God to How great Thou art, how great Thou
serve a God, guys, who is mighty, mighty to save.
Y'all can be seated. Father, this morning, we want to acknowledge that indeed you are mighty to save. Help us to just for a second this morning, just to spend some quiet time reflecting on the day, the approximate time that you saved us. Father, I remember being a little boy, seven years old. I had heard the gospel several times. But I remember the evening that your spirit convicted me of my sin and my need for Christ. I thank you for saving faith. I thank you for your grace that is truly greater than all our sins. And as we spend some time this morning finishing up on just discussing ministry and, and how healthy ministry looks, I pray that we would all be convinced that know you, that we are in the ministry. And we will answer for the ministry that you've given us Help us not to think so light of you that we don't consider that you have not only called us, but you have equipped us to serve you for your glory. Help us to submit to you in our lives that we might um, reflect those that belong to the Lord Jesus. And so I pray for this time together that we might um, learn, learn from your a spirit, as we consider these things in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So you should have in front of you a handout. Any of you not have a handout? If you don't have a handout, put your hand up. And those guys that um, passed out the handouts will be happy to give you one. You're going to need it this morning. Because we want to complete this morning what we started last week, which, believe it or not, is possible. And we want to do that because otherwise I'll lose a little bit of uh, consistency if I wait, and I don't want to do that. So I want to make sure that we are all together on the same page as it relates to ministry. And I said last week that if you belong, just leave your hands up if you don't have a sheet. Last week I said that... You may not know, but every single one who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ is in the ministry. Oftentimes, ministry is thought of as strictly professional, reserved for those who are missionaries and pastors and such. But the reality is that all of you who belong to Christ here in this building are in the ministry. And I even asked you last week to consider that and what that would mean for your life. Because once you come to Christ, then the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have a purpose. God has given you, as a believer, gift or gifts and talents to be used ultimately for the glory of the Lord. And so, this morning I want to begin with just a quick review on your handout. The good to know. If ministry is perceived as only work, completing the task will be the focal point. However, if ministry is perceived as opportunity to demonstrate love, then the focus will be on the person or persons God puts on our path. And we talked about last week the importance of creating an atmosphere of love within the ministry. And we, I asked you that you would evaluate the ministry that God has given you. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear on this, that this does not mean that um, you have to be working in a, quote, church ministry. You are in the ministry. In other words, you've been called to serve. And so whether you are working with a wanderer or youth or family matters or joy club, it, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that all of you that belong to Christ are in the ministry. And that ministry begins in your home. And then it works out from there. And eventually it hits the church. And hopefully you are um, disciplined to, to have that as a part of your life. That you recognize that being in church ministry and being involved in church ministry is important because you're able to touch them the lives of other people. I don't know what your thought is on service or ministering to others, but I found an article that was really interesting. And the author of the article said this. Many don't want to serve or minister except to serve or minister to themselves. But we all serve something. Some serve the idols of money and materialism. Some serve the idols of addiction. Some serve the idols of of addiction. Some in today's culture serve their children's idols. You listening to that? Some in today's culture and church serve their children's idols to the detriment of the family. What I mean by that is there's misplaced priorities as a result of that. Some serve God's made in their own image. We are called to minister to others for God's glory. What are we pouring our lives into is a question that I would ask of you. As we begin this morning, we want to handle the other five components of um, healthy ministry. And I wanted to begin with this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of me or mimic me, just as I also am of Christ. And so the question becomes this morning for all of us to consider, who are we mimicking? Are we mimicking ultimately the person of the Lord Jesus? And that should be the case. In your handout, you're going to see that this morning we're going to move on to our second point in building healthy ministry. And that is, we must build a healthy biblical group image. What in the world does that mean? Mean Well, image is defined as the mental picture, this is very important, of your group as understood in the minds of those who attend. So in other words, where you're sitting now, right, 
you have a picture, if you will, of Sunday mornings at 1030. What is the mental picture that you have of this group? What's the mental picture you have of your Sunday school class or Awana or youth or whatever ministry is? What picture is it that you have of your home? What would your children say in terms of their picture of the home? Wouldn't it be interesting if you went home today and said, hey guys, what's your picture of the home? You might have some interesting answers. And if you do that exercise, please let me know what some of those answers are. How would your children define your home? How would people, as they enter through the doors of Grace Community, what would they say the church is committed to here? Is that important? Absolutely it's important. I can tell you in one quick statement, we are committed to the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. To knowing Christ, to making Him known, to opening up the Word of God. So, what is it that people see when they come to church or come to the group that you are involved in? In the early church, I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts. We want to read just some scripture here this morning that will help us to have a picture of the early church. So if you took yourself back to the first century and you were in the church there in Jerusalem, what would be the key components? What would people have seen in the early church? Well, we don't have to guess. It's given to us in the book of Acts chapter 2. Notice verse 41, it says this. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day were added about 3,000 souls. Church in Jerusalem grew at a rapid rate. <laughs> they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if you were going to break down that passage, what would you see there in terms of their image? They had an image, the church at Jerusalem did. I listed some of them for you in your notes. The word was present. We know that because the Bible tells us the apostles were teaching. There was fellowship. Now remember, John defined fellowship as with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ, from 1 John. That is the common fellowship that we have. We may be as different as night and day, but what brings us together is fellowship around the Lord Jesus Christ. Agreed? That's why we come. And listen, I'm different than you and you're different than me. We're all unique. So there was the word, there was fellowship, there was prayer. We're going to get to that because prayer is part of one of the key components. Sharing and worship. That's what was going on in the early church. Those were key ingredients as they moved forward and as the Lord was adding to their number. These things were going on on a regular basis. So one of the things that we need to consider, whether it be the church or whether it be youth group or whether it be Awana 
or whether it be a Sunday school class or joy club, when people come, what are they participating in? What is their expectation? Uh, Because they do have one. When people go to church, they have an expectation. Not all expectations are the same. Okay? A lot of times, as was mentioned in that article, coming to church is strictly about self and what I get out of it. That's a sad way to attend church. We attend church to glorify the Lord, and we do that through the Word, through song, through testimony, all these things that were mentioned even in the early church. All right, the next slide, we want to look at steps to building a healthy biblical image. And this is important whether, like I said, you're talking about the home or the church. You need to be thinking about this. Number one, don't you like the way that kind of dribbles in? Do y'all see that? There needs to be a focus on the group's potential, not on their problems. What if every week I focused on all the different problems going on with the families here in the church and didn't focus on the Word of God? Is that okay? It's not okay. But there's a lot of times when we focus on problems, whether it be in the home, whether it be in a Sunday school class, whatever the setting, and we don't focus on the potential, meaning potential for spiritual growth. One of the things that really troubled me over the years in talking to different youth pastors is the expectation that they had with their youth was really low. I'm like, hold on a second. These are young adults. Some of these kids have been saved a long time. And if you ever had the opportunity or privilege to teach these young people, even here at Grace, these young people are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. We have leaders that are committed to that. So there's a tendency at times, I think, no matter what the setting, to focus on problems, but we need to focus in on the potential. It's easy in the home. Think about that. Easy illustration. To focus on the problems in the home, to focus on all the things that are wrong with our kids. I've got to make my kid this, and I've got to make my kid that, which, by the way, you can't do. Um, I need to be concerned about their spiritual, right? That travels. That has legs to it. It's a dead-end road if you're a parent trying to control your kid on every single thing. I have three boys, couldn't control them. My wife couldn't, as sweet as she is. But you know what we could do? We could pray for our children. Parents, we need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our grandchildren that the spirit of the living God would work in their life. That's what we need to do. So focus on the spiritual growth. Second thing, See how that dribbles in there? That's just the cool. My PowerPoints, I, I, I didn't learn this when I was under George or Dr. Hugh back in college. We didn't have PowerPoints. We had a sheet of paper. Um, the second thing here is remember how God has worked in the past. That's one of the things that will help you not to focus on the problems. Remember how God's worked in the past? Right in your own family. Think about Israel and how God worked in the lives of his people. And the importance of them remembering. Many times memorials were set up in the life of Israel in order for them to do what? Remember. Remember. What do your children remember about your home? What are people going to remember about the ministry God has put you in? Okay? Thirdly, there's also kinds of little... Work to build a good growth level experience, whether it's in the home, right? There's growth level experiences 
that we need to be having with our children and grandchildren in the home. One of the most, my most favorite things with my boys was praying with my boys. You say, Dad, that's growth level? Oh, that's growth level. Because you know what I'm getting to do? I'm getting to hear about their life. And they're getting to hear that, hey, Dad's just a regular guy. He's not some super saint. He lived. Believe it or not, he had a life. He lived, and he was even a teenager, and he even had issues he had to deal with. Work to build a good growth level experience, whether it's in your home or in the ministry that God has given you, whatever that looks like. Well, there are six things here concerning a healthy biblical image that I don't want you to forget. A healthy biblical image affects the degree to which people learn. Absolutely the case. Do you know people can walk through a door and within 10 minutes be done? Do you know that? Typically, within the first five minutes, you set the tone for the night, for the whatever it is, around your table, however that looks. But a healthy biblical image affects the degree to which people learn. Right? And we have to ask ourselves, is the Lord and His Word central? Do my kids, would my kids say that the Lord Jesus Christ is the central figure in the home? Would a youth group or an Awana group or an adult group say Christ is the center? Is that important to consider? Absolutely it is. Okay? Secondly, a healthy biblical image affects the degree to which people identify with the purpose of the group. In other words, why did we get together? Why did you come this morning? Why'd you come? Why are you here? I remember asking that to congregation years ago. It was the first Sunday that a couple attended, James and Nell Minor. And I asked the question to the congregation that morning, why are you here? You know, why do we come together? And I'll never forget, when you talked to Nell Minor, she was a little bit intimidating. She was a nice little old lady, but she was intimidating. And she said, Pastor Thad, I need to talk to you. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And she said, I want you to know I haven't considered that question in a long time. But I need to consider it. So, why do we gather? Why do we come together? You know, that's very, very important to consider, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the ministry that God has given you. All right? Healthy Biblical image affects the degree to which people seek to be, bring friends. And that is the absolute truth. If you're excited about the way your kid is performing in some, some drama, or if you're excited about your grandkid who can hit a baseball past the infield, you're coming to church going, <clears throat> my grandson hits the ball in the outfield. You know, and, and you want to come see that? Right? Hey, we make it known, Right? Well, we want people to come and see. So the question becomes, this is a very critical question, and I understand it. Are we willing to bring people to grace? Are we willing to introduce them to our small group ministry or our youth ministry or our wanted ministry? I understand the implications of the question because one of the things that people have to consider is do, do they enjoy the worship? Do they enjoy the preaching and the teaching? I mean, I'm just being honest with you, right? So it affects the degree to which people seek to bring friends. Okay, fourth, a health, healthy biblical image 
Continually encourages spiritual growth. So no matter the group, there's a continual encouragement to spiritual growth. The Bible tells us we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to be paramount. And so a healthy group encourages spiritual growth. All right? And I would say at every level encourages spiritual growth. Fifth, why is this not changing? A healthy biblical image begins with shepherds of the church imitating Christ. No one necessarily likes to have their life on display, but I've got news for all of you. Every believer, your life is on display for everyone to see. So whether you're at a ballpark or whether you're watching someone at a show, like a drama, wherever it is you are, people are watching your life. And it begins with the shepherds of the church. Shepherds know this. They know. Your shepherds here know that you're watching their lives. Is there a commitment on their part to healthy ministry? Right? Okay, then the last point here is that a healthy biblical image places the focus on eternal things, not temporary things. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an event. Churches have events. But what's the purpose of the event? All right. Well, when the early church got together, we saw all that they were involved with. So when we get together, is the focus on things that are lasting, which are eternal things, or things that do not last? Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 2, set your mind. That word set in the original means to fix. It means to concentrate your mind on the things above. Not on the things that are on earth. We live on the earth. And it is difficult to have that perspective no different than it was for the Colossi believers, okay? There is a challenge there. And so Paul tells them to fix their mind on the things that are above. All right. So healthy biblical image. That's important for ministry. Okay. Third consideration is maintain a contacting ministry. Maintain a contacting ministry. So... We'll use the home as an example. Now, you can, as a parent, have this philosophy, and it's going to enter your mind, oh boy, they graduated, and now I'm done. And they can leave next week, right? I'll give them a week to get out. And they're on their own. No more contact, no more responsibility. I've got some really good news for those of you who have children who are about to leave the home. They will be back. Okay. Hey, listen, and just because our children leave the home doesn't mean we don't maintain contact, right? How important is a contacting ministry? Well, I just wanted to define it here. The contacting ministry is building relationships with people outside of the church setting, Okay. Getting to know them on their own turf. In other words, going to their ball games. Going to hang out with a family at a restaurant. 
a new family, a family you don't know well. Is that okay? Is that just the responsibility of a few? Or do we all share in the responsibility? Notice it says, getting to know them on their own turf. And one of the memories that I have from my youth pastor when I was 14, 15, and 16 was he came to my turf. He was good at that. He always spent time with those people that he ministered to. And one of the things that he really enjoyed doing was playing tennis. I didn't know a whole lot about tennis. I knew there was a racket and some balls and you hit it. But he would come pick me up and he'd take me. And listen, guys, he wasn't taking me out to teach me to play tennis. You know what he was doing? Spending time with me. That's what he was doing. You don't forget those people that are willing to spend time with you. And as you get older, you realize, don't we, that the Lord has those appointments, those divine appointments for us. There's a reason a person calls you. You ever, you ever um, looked at your phone, right, and, and, and um, you've accidentally called somebody? Accidentally called somebody? How many of you hang up? How many of you ever have had the thought cross your mind, you know what, Lord, this isn't an accident. I'm just going to stay on the line. And I'm going to find out how this person is doing. You ever done that? I've done that with you. Did you know that? Accidentally called you. Hey, how are you? It happens. We live in that world where you make a call and you don't even know you've made the call. Howard Hendricks, in talking about this, says you can impress people at a distance... You can only impact them up close. Mm. What's that mean? It means sacrifice and it means time. The general principle is this. The closer the personal relationship, the greater the potential for impact. We have to be in the world of our people. So Lord, how can I be more in the world of the people? Did you know that Jesus had a contacting ministry? How many of you knew that? He had a contacting ministry. He contacted the multitudes. Yeah, I know it. The Bible's clear. At times he spoke to the multitudes. At times he spoke to just 12. There were times in Jesus' contact ministry where there was only three. Peter, James, and John. And then, did you know there was even times in Jesus' life and ministry where there was only one? Who was it? John. The beloved disciple. Jesus had a contacting ministry. He was intentional. In fact, John chapter 3 tells us, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. We need to consider the importance of being on the turf of others. The Lord Jesus spent time with his disciples. The Bible tells us that Paul mimicked him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says this, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but what? Also our very own lives. Own lives. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. J. Vernon McGee says this, or said this about being together. He says, There is a brotherhood within the body of believers, 
And the Lord Jesus Christ is the common denominator. That's why we're here today. The Lord Jesus. Time with one another is essential in remaining healthy. We don't just have fellowships like we're going to have on October the 8th. The design of the fellowship is to bring believers together for you to interrupt the lives of other people. Is that okay? And for them to interrupt your life. Is that okay? And even for those people who don't know you to interrupt your life and for you to interrupt the lives of someone you don't know. (laughs) That's where it's difficult at times. Hey, listen, just ask for the Lord to help you. He'll do it. Okay? He will do it. All right. Next principle for healthy ministry is communicating a proper concept of Christ. Communicating a proper concept of Christ. Howard Hendricks wrote, Jesus spent the first year of his ministry teaching his followers who he was. They thought he would come as a conquering king. Instead, Jesus came first as a suffering servant. In fact, in the life of Christ, we looked at this verse briefly last week. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be what? Served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, the question then becomes, how do we communicate the right concept of Christ? Well, we need to know the life of Christ. If we're going to communicate the proper concept of Christ, we need to understand the life and ministry of Christ. Young people, where am I going to go to understand the life and ministry of Jesus Christ? What am I going to read? The Bible. Let's narrow that down. What am I going to read? The Gospels. That's right. Say it. The Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're going to give me a better understanding of the Lord. In fact, principle number one in how do we communicate the right concept of Christ, we must commit ourselves to understanding His life and character as expressed in the Gospels. What do you understand about Christ? If I just said, write me a one-page paper on the life of Christ and turn it in to me by next Sunday, is that okay? What do you understand about the life of Christ? Well, you know, one of the things I understand about the life of Christ... He had a conversation with the ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus in John 3. Oh, yeah, but Nicodemus was somebody. Well, but then just one little chapter over, Jesus is with at the, was with the woman at the well. A lot to consider there, isn't there? It's one thing to be with a religious man and another to be with a woman who was not considered, right, so high in standard. Jesus Christ hung out with different folks. So we must commit ourselves to understanding his life and character as expressed in the Gospels if we're going to communicate a proper concept. The second thing is we must walk with him faithfully. We must walk with him faithfully if we're going to communicate a proper concept of Christ. For we cannot not communicate at every point in our life. At every point in our life we communicate. And the Bible is very clear about what the expectation of our Lord is for us. And that is that we would faithfully walk with him. 
Our walk should match our talk. Okay? It should do that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul, Paul wrote this. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Would you say that the church at Corinth was a stellar church? No. They went through some changes, for sure. But he says, Known and read by all men, be manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What do people see when they see you as a Christian? Well, we have quite the opportunity in this culture, don't we? There is a line in the sand. Those who do and those who don't. If you walk out that door and there was immediately, just for the sake of example, an, an audience of 10,000 people and all of them were from, from your area, let's just say trustful, the trustful Pinson Clay area, and you had an opportunity to take a microphone and say, something to them and you knew half that audience what would they be expecting from you you know it's something to consider we need to make sure that people see Christ in us and through us all right third how do we communicate a proper concept of Christ we must understand that our verbal and nonverbal actions communicate to those the Lord puts in our path. People are watching. People are watching. We must understand our verbal and nonverbal actions communicate to those that the Lord puts in our path. All right? So, we've talked about we must create an atmosphere of love. We must build a healthy group image. We must maintain a contacting ministry if we're going to be effective. And then fourth, we must communicate a proper concept of Christ. Now we want to move to the last two. All right? We must build a prayer base. Every ministry needs a prayer base. Your home, <laughs> there needs to be a prayer base in your home. It starts with you as parents, and it builds out to your children, and it builds out to your grandchildren. I like what Carl Wilson said about this. He said, prayer is one of the most important aspects of building disciples. If one is to help men grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he must pray. Indeed, if he does everything else right, <clears throat> in terms of building disciples and yet fails to pray, nothing significant will happen. You know what, guys? We don't need to do ministry in our own strength. We need the Lord's help at every single turn. Just like we need the Lord's help at every single turn in the home, we need it in the ministry that God has called us to. All right, so what's the definition of a prayer base? I like this definition of a prayer base. It's a group of people who commit themselves to aggressively and regularly pray for the individuals and events within the ministry. 
Do you know we have such a ministry here? Did you know that we have a group of people that meet, I believe it's on the last Monday of the month. And it's a group of ladies. And do you know what these ladies do? They aggressively and regularly pray for the persecuted church. How many of you knew that? They are faithful to do it. I've never been in one of their little get-togethers, but I've seen them. I've seen them as they're pouring over the different requests, as they take those sheets out, and I'm sure they're reading about what's going on. I see them in that room, and they're praying. We need people to aggressively pray for our children. We need people to aggressively and fervently pray for our youth. And for families, for fathers, and for mothers. Because, listen to me, the enemy is on the attack, and has been, to break up the family. And if he can break the family up, the church is next. It comes with it as a result. So, a group of people who commit themselves to aggressively and regularly pray for individuals and events. Well... The priority of prayer, there are four different points here about the priority of prayer. First of all, prayer was a priority in the life of Christ. Luke chapter 6 is one of my favorite passages with this. Luke chapter 6, the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus and his own priority of prayer. How many times do you see in the life of the Lord Jesus, it says, he withdrew to pray. He withdrew to pray. He withdrew to pray. Well, in this particular text, in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, the Bible tells us that it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Well, I look at that verse and I go, it was at what time? What time are we talking about, right? Right? You go to the verse, you go, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. Why in the world did he do that? The Bible tells us, verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them whom he also named as apostles. He spent the night in prayer. Why? Because of what he was doing as it related to the apostles and in naming them in Luke chapter 6, it tells us he spent the night in prayer. The second thing that we see about the priority of prayer in the scriptures is our battle is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 6? Our battle, listen to this, it says the battle is against rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we're to put on the armor of God. But did you know down in verse 18, there's so much concentration when you come to that passage on putting on the armor of God. And we need to do that. But verse 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Right? We have the Word of God as a weapon, but prayer, Paul does not exclude it, but he includes it as a very important component in the battle 
that we face. Third prayer is commanded in the scriptures. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. One of my favorite passages says, devote yourselves to prayer. That's what the mind of Paul says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So he tells them, this is what you're to do. And then he even specific in what, how they're to pray. He says, praying at the same time for us that God will open up to us a door for the word. Why? So that they could speak forth the mystery of Christ for which they were imprisoned. And so the scriptures command it to us as believers. And then fourthly, prayer changes lives. It absolutely changes lives. You say, well, whose life does it change? Us, mostly. Look at this. I love this quote by Spurgeon. Prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. So it begs the question, for me first and then you, how much time are we spending in this? How many of us would regularly would, would admit prayer is a difficult discipline? Absolutely it is. But you know what prayer says? Prayer says, I need you, Lord. I need you. That's what it says. And we do need him. So, a prayer base is essential in the ministry, no matter what ministry you're in. If you're in a small group ministry, let's just say, because tonight we have small groups, a prayer base is essential in that small group. It's essential that you know what's going on in the lives of the people that God has entrusted you with. This cartoon... All right, it's a pastor's study. The secretary walks in and says, oh, good, you're not busy. And the reality is that he's busy doing the most important thing he can be doing, and that's praying. Well, the last one that we want to cover in, this, in these components of a healthy ministry is communicating the Word of God. It's essential that we communicate the Word of God, all right? Our goal in communicating God's word must be, this is very critical, to get others into the word. And respond to its truth. As we pick up the Bible and we read it, we aren't simply gaining information from God, but God himself is confronting us. Begs the question, what's God confronting you about and me about? Right now in our lives. So I love the opening statement. Our goal in communicating God's word must be to get others into the word. This book here. We want people to get into this book. Right? So no matter whether we're at home or in a small group ministry or with children or adults, whatever it is, we want people to open the word and be confronted with what God has said. In my opinion, if we're not doing that, then I'm not sure what we're doing. We must have the mind to confront ourselves and others with what God has said. There's some verses that you know well, likely, that point to the importance of communicating the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable, are usable. 
is another word that you could put there. Usable for teaching. It's useful for teaching, for rebuke. The teaching part I like. The rebuke part, not so much. For correction. You know what that picture is of, that word correction? In the original language, it's a picture of taking something and putting it back on its track. Something's out of shape and it needs to be put back in place. Well, that's what the Bible does. It does it for us, doesn't it? So it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for straightening us back up, and then for training in righteousness. What is right? What is right? So I don't know what's right. That I need to know what's right. Go to the book. Well, Pastor so-and-so said, no, go to the book. What does the book say about righteousness and how I need to behave? I take my cues from the Lord, right? Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ouch. It gets right down to the innards. That's what it does. It confronts us. The Bible does. When the Bible speaks about righteousness or right living, how is it possible, just by way of illustrating, how is it possible to live right before the Lord? Is that even possible? How do we live right before the Lord? The helper. The Spirit of God has to help us. We know what the Bible says. It's just saying, I need your Spirit, Lord, to help me to make those right choices. All right? First Peter says, And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We want our young people to grow in respect to their salvation. We want our children to grow in respect to their salvation. And so that's what the Word of God does. It helps us in our understanding of who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And it helps us to understand what He wants for our lives. And so the curriculum, if you will, for any ministry, whether it's the home or children or adults or youth, is the Word of God. That's the curriculum. That's the main curriculum. Well, there are three things I wanted to alert you to that can get us sidetracked. If the Lord's put us in a ministry, it can get us sidetracked. Relying on a magic curriculum with the Bible only as a resource book to complete the lesson. (laughs) In other words, taking the book and making the book, whatever it is, making it central instead of the Word of God. So does that ever happen? Yeah, it does. We have to be really, really careful that we are committed to the scriptures and having it as our main resource. There's nothing wrong with reading a book. Okay, there's nothing wrong with going through and studying a book. But we want to make sure that we're focusing in on the centrality of scripture as the main source of our wisdom. All right, the second thing that can happen is talking a lot about the Bible but never really getting into it. 
Mm, that can happen. It can easily happen. I believe that happens when we're really not committed to studying the book. What I mean by that is being willing to get in there and grind it out. There's a lot to consider. So talking a lot about the Bible, but never really getting into it. All right. The third uh, sidetrack or distraction, overuse of certain hot topics or fav- favorite subjects. That's why I enjoy preaching through books, is because you can kind of get focused on hot topic buttons. You know, what's going on in our world? What's the latest thing going on? Well, I need to preach on that. Well, I've found over the years, and most of my preaching has been through a book of the Bible. And books of the Bible address life issues as they come along. And so we must be committed to that, all right? Well, one final uh, quote that I wanted to give you for your consideration. And I like what John Stott says here about the Word of God. He says, we must allow the Word of God to confront us. To disturb our security. To undermine our complacency. And to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So if we're going to allow the word of God to confront us, we have to open it. We have to be in places where God's word is open. You know, one of the things I really, really appreciate about our small group ministry, and it just started this last week, um, I, I love the fact that, that our leaders are committed to that. Right? They're committed to getting into the word of God. They're committed to saying, this is what God has said. They're willing to say, hey, it's going to disturb you, but this is what God has said, right? And so it's critical that we have that mind, that the Word of God be central to whatever ministry that God would call us to. Let me give you a quick example. When people come to you for some kind of counsel, how do you respond to that? How many of you had had somebody, just one person, come to you for advice in life? Or confront you with an issue that they're going through? What's your first thought? Hmm? Bible. First thought, Bible? What has God already said about it? You remember the little bracelets, what would Jesus do? They came out with years ago. Like, what, what do you mean, what would Jesus do? What did he do? Now, what would he do? What did he do? I don't have to wonder. It, the Bible gives me clarity on subjects, right? There are some things that are hard, hard to understand. But there's a lot of clarity. There's a lot of black and white in the Bible. And so we need to make sure that we're pointing people to the Word of God. Well, I found an interesting closing illustration. I thought you'd really appreciate this. Um. How many of you have heard of William Booth, right? The founder of the Salvation Army. There's a time in his life that he was told by his own son that he would never see again. Well, what would your response be? If someone told you, your own family, hey, you're never going to see again. You know what Booth said? Booth said to his son, Are you saying I'm blind? The son replied, yes, father. They say you will never see again. So Booth said to his son these words, okay, son, 
I have done what I could for the Lord with my eyes open. And now I'll spend the rest of my life doing for the Lord with my eyes shut. You get what he's saying? So whether I have sight or I don't have sight, I'm going to serve the one who saved me. Guys, there are so many important components to what I just gave you the last two weeks. I would just really, really encourage you to consider these points as you consider your home and as you consider the ministry that God has given to you. All right? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the principles that we have from your word that show us through the life of Christ the things that Christ himself was committed to. Um, We know in just reading the scriptures, I was thinking about communicating the word of God. What do we find the Lord Jesus doing at age 12? (laughs) He's in the temple. Reasoning with them the scriptures. Lord, I just pray that we would consider in the life and ministry that you've given us, whether it be in our home, whether it be here, whether it be outside of here, in a ministry at the Salvation Army, are these components present? All of them are important, but as I'm standing here and just thinking right now as I'm praying to you, Father, I think about the fact that the Lord Jesus... Talk to many, many people. Multitudes of people. He talked to individuals. He talked to folks who in that culture were considered to be outcast. He talked, he shared. The centrality of the message of the Lord Jesus, as I read the Gospel of John, is belief. What must a person do to be saved? I pray that we would commit ourselves as believers in Christ to being faithful to study, faithful to put ourselves even in difficult situations as we learn to build relationships with others, that the people would see in our lives, you, and that it would be so contagious that they would want that because maybe it's missing in their own life. And so help us not to take for granted the blessings that we have here at Grace, the commitment to the Word of God and to the gospel of Christ. Help us not to take for granted those people who lead ministries within the framework of grace. And might we be accountable to you, Lord, as we have opportunities to share, whether it's in our families or whether it's with others in this building or even those outside of this building. Help us to be willing to share about how you, Lord, are working in our lives, what you're teaching us, where you're challenging us, All of these things are really, really critical. Help us to be committed to one another that we might grow 
ourselves in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his wonderful name I pray all of these things. Amen. Well, guys, Jesus is central in all of this, right? And so we want to kind of just um, catch a glimpse of that. There's um, a scene in Revelations uh, that we're going to be a part of one day uh, where all the angels are singing that he is holy and all the blessing and honor and glory belongs to him. They're doing it right now. So let's all stand and close out by just lifting his name high. Slip.
You know, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Yesterday morning, I was watching a little bit of game day, getting prepared for my Razorbacks, and they were up in uh, South Bend, Indiana, for the Ohio State um, uh, Notre Dame game. I don't know if you saw it, but they had Father So-and-So on game day. And he came up and he was talking and he said, he made this statement. He said, I would want people to know there are many ways to God. And I thought, well, now that's just not true. And so I had Teresa come watch it just to make sure I was hearing it right. And she sat there on the couch and said, that's not right. (laughs) But I'm thinking that's going over, listen to me, that's traveling to a lot of homes. There are a lot of people that live for game day, coming to Tuscaloosa or down to the loveliest little village on the plains. I don't think game day's ever been to the promised land, but that would be in Fayetteville. But um, you think about all the different stories that go out over the airways just on that one show, and I thought how sad that is, how many people heard yesterday just that one statement. So aren't we thankful that we do know? That there is but one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we know you can do anything. I, I pray you'd erase out of the minds of people what that man said yesterday. And I pray that somebody would be willing to um, correct that statement with those who heard. Give opportunities. It's going to bring about conversations, no doubt in my mind. So I just pray that um, you might even give some of us an opportunity as we have conversations. Help us, Father, to be committed to the ministry that you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.